unfortunately, again, it's something that is cultured globally. It's not just a Jamaican thing where failure is deemed a negative. And the truth is, if you don't, if you win every time, what do you really learn? Whereas if you fail, you have an opportunity to not only brush up for the next time, but you know what not to do. Welcome to the What Next Podcast, hosted by Sean Reed, where we pay it forward through conversations. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey to discover what's next for you. Thank you very much for coming, Sarah. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. How is your mental health? How are you doing? I've had better days, to be perfectly honest. There's a lot going on upstairs. Um, but um, but I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Okay, I really appreciate it. I think when we first met, you were working at Vistaprint. Yeah. Is that true? That's true. Um, how was that and how was the transition from Vistaprint to being an entrepreneur? Oh, gosh. Okay, so you're taking me back maybe 14 years. So Vistaprint was actually my first introduction to creative management so before i'd been a junior designer designer senior designer but now i took a job as an associate art director no associate creative director and i had a team that i had to manage and i had no idea what i was (laughs) doing and i'll never forget my cousin at the time saying to me you have a university degree it means you're trainable right do not say no to an opportunity um keep keep your mind keep your eyes open keep your mind open and you'll figure it out um and i did surprisingly but i if i if i was to say it wasn't daunting at first it was um again first time off i had to figure out who each person was on my team listen to them because i guess my style was i have no idea about any of these people. I've never seen them in my life. I'm a stranger coming in and they were already an, a, a very close-knit team. So I came in and I had to kind of sit back and observe and learn a little about each of them. And then the task at hand was figuring out how to increase revenue and make the department a much stronger design team because it was a pilot program. Um, and, I, you know, within that job, I had to learn to how to interview new staff members. I had to learn how to fire people. Um, they made me sit through every exit interview. I was like, it's not an HR function. <laughs> um, but it also toughened you up for the real world. Um, it was kind of a, a baptism of fire, as they say. But it was a wonderful experience. It stretched, it stretched my own abilities. Um, when I was uh, my mom is a teacher and at six years old I could tell her I, I don't want to be a teacher when I grow up but yet here I was having Friday coaching sessions you know um, teaching certain things that needed brushing up so to speak in terms of design and design theory and technicality and I'm like who am I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never say never right um, and long and short the the pilot was coming to an end And I had an option and I had to make a very quick decision. Was I going to stay in operations management or was I going to leave the company? And I I went home and I I cried. That's the first thing I did. I said, oh my God, what what am I going to do? 
but I knew that running reports <laughs> was definitely not something I was good at one and not something I would enjoy. And you have to enjoy what you're doing at the base of it all, at the core. Um, so I didn't know what to do really. I had, you know, still, still fresh on the island and didn't have a client base. I wasn't working on my own. I was working for people when I came home. And quite okay with that. I had no dream to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also remember meeting another designer who is still around today. He's a little older than me. And we met when I was working at the ad agency. And he looked at my portfolio and he said to me, why don't you go out on your own? And I said, I don't know anybody. You know, I don't know where I get the first client. And he said, leap and the net will appear. He says, before you know it, you will have more clients than you can manage. And that night in making my decision, that conversation came back to, to memory. And, you know, I, I, I saw him many years later having built this client base now and it was consistently growing. And I reminded him of the conversation and I said, you know, I just want to say thank you because I don't think if we had that conversation, I would have made the right decision for me at the time but it instilled a sense of confidence that this person doesn't know you either and they're telling you you can do this they've been around um so it's good to when you see potential in people to talk to them to help build them up in whatever way you can just to instill that sense of confidence because you never know when it will come in handy um so that said i left uh, maybe two years after being there, came back to Kingston and had no clients to start with. <laughs> Luckily, I could move back in at home with my parents. <laughs> so I didn't have to worry about rent immediately. Um, but fortunately, I like talking to people and meeting new people. And as a result, little by little, the word got out there. I did a few small jobs and one led to another to another and here we are today, sometimes having too much work. So that's a good problem. That's, that's a very good problem to have. And we're very thankful for it. So. so it's funny. There are three things you said a while ago that really hit home for me. One was the confidence to do it. So when you are offered a job at Vistaprint, you didn't think you could do it. No. And I think it's very important for everybody to, to always remember to go out and try. If you try and fail, that's quite okay. But not trying will always haunt you. Absolutely. There, there is, I think, unfortunately, again, it's something that is cultured globally. It's not just a Jamaican thing where failure is deemed a negative. And the truth is, if you don't, if you win every time, what do you really learn? Whereas if you fail, you have an opportunity to not only brush up for the next time but you know what not to do the next time um if you're open to it because sometimes people fail and they get so caught up in that emotion that they close themselves and they shut down and nothing is ever learned and no good comes from that but failure is important failure in itself is a a form of success or success to come Uh, the second thing that i spoke about which i think is really important is coaching people I think not, not enough of us take the time to help somebody else. Yeah. And I promise you that there are people who you coached back then 
who still remember it and who paid for it in their own ways by coaching other people because helping people is one of the most important things that we can do and i think that if more of us to attempt to coach people we have no idea what the next generation will be like they were so much more efficient and caring and concerned about others versus a boss or a leader who is you know selfish for lack of a better word yeah i mean that's something that my parents raised my brother and myself um to really believe and and to do that we're here on this earth in what's the best way to term it in service to serve others um and that looks different in different situations with different people. Sometimes you can help because you have an extra an extra dollar mm -hmm. and it can help make somebody's day or situation better. Sometimes it's simply an encouraging word. Um, but both are forms of serving other people. Um, and I also think it, it, it helps us to also realize that we have purpose or we have a greater purpose more than waking up every day and going to work and doing a job. You know, we are here to help each other in whatever way we can. So, yeah. And then the last thing you spoke about was the mentor, you know, this guy who told you to do it. He was a mentor. He probably unknowingly gave you advice that clearly changed your entire direction. And I think that so many times, you know, whether it's somebody older, in quotes, or somebody who's a bit more advanced in their own field, gives somebody advice or gives us advice and we don't take it because of our own doubts, our own fears. Or pride. Or pride, <laughs> right? True. <laughs> and we don't realize that they're speaking wisdom into our lives and yeah. they're genuinely helping us based on maybe their own experiences, their own failures. And they're saying, I failed. I didn't take a leap. Don't make the same mistake I did. Just go forward and do it. And it's so important for us to put trust in people who are willing to give us good advice. Yeah. And I think also what we need to recognize. So one of my love languages, for example, is quality time. And I tell people all the time, one of the greatest gifts that you can give anyone is your time. It's something that you can't buy back time. You can't regain time. So if someone actually makes time, especially in a busy day, to talk to you about whatever, it could be to make you laugh. It, it doesn't even have to be about mentorship, but just to take the time to, to share a word of advice, laughter, cheer, whatever. It, there's so much value in that, and we need to be a little more gracious in, in being thankful and, and being thankful for that. Um, can I get it back? So... I think that unfortunately, not until we don't have someone's time that we realize how valuable it is, yeah. we don't realize that it's, it's kind of scary to think about it, but nobody actually has to talk to us. Mm -hmm. We could literally go to work every day and people just walk past us because they're busy in their own lives. And when somebody takes the time to say, hello, hi, good morning, how are you? It may seem simple, but when that goes away, you realize that, wow, that person took five seconds to say hello. It's, it's a big deal. It is. It is. And it can be so alienating and isolating when you don't have someone's time. Yeah. So, yeah. So you came back to Kingston mm -hmm. and you have zero clients. Nobody. No clients. <laughs> so, okay. What do you do then? How do you even approach that first person to say, hey, I'm here? Um, I, 
you know, to be perfectly honest, Sean, I have the worst memory <laughs> for some <laughs> things. Um, and I think it just happened so, almost so naturally. I don't think it was any big aha moment. Mm -hmm. It was probably going out, having conversation. I remember simple things. I remember going to a, a, a jazz bar in Montego Bay and looking at the menu. And I had probably gained one or two clients. So it's after I'd, I'd gone back down for just a little weekend. And I said, could I speak to the manager? And the waitress got all bummy. I said, no, 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 there's nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong. I'm totally fine with the service. Just want to talk to the manager um, about something to do with, with a work matter. Um, and I got a manager because I looked at the menu and I thought to myself, this is God awful. <laughs> it's certainly not suiting or yeah. fitting to the theme of, of the place. Um, it's nighttime. I can't read because of the font colors they've chosen. And so I basically, back then business cards were a thing. Right, not QR right. codes. And I whipped up my business card and I said, look, I'm a, I'm a designer. And if you ever have a need, I'd be happy to, to come and talk to you and, you know, redo some work for you or look at other other areas that we could explore opportunities. They never called. <laughs> that's fair. And that's fair. That happens too. I think we also have to get comfortable, Sean, with hearing no. All right? It's, and sometimes a no is a no, and sometimes a no is a not right no. All right? Um, but it was things like that. It was going out and literally, or if you, you know, a friend says, oh, I heard someone at my job and they need so-and-so, you know, put your name forward. That's another thing that we should really try and be mindful of. When you can mention, whether it's a friend, and again, I tell people, a lot of people look at it as nepotism sometimes, right? But the other thing is, if the person is qualified and actually suitable, and they happen to be a friend of yours, be okay with mentioning their name with a room that they're not even in. Yeah. Right? Um, because you never know when it may come in handy. You may never know. That's another form of networking. They're not even present. But here you are on their behalf, being their mouthpiece. Um, again, only do it if they are suitable for the job. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so a lot of that happened as well. Um, I had some good, good friends and good colleagues who were, again, I didn't go to school in Jamaica. So a lot of our professional connections are formed in university yeah. or at the college tertiary level. And so coming back home, I still had my high school girlfriends. I mean, the friendships kind of change, you know, as you go through and you get older. But I never had a core that I could say that we went to high school, to university together. So definitely can call this person and, you know, have them put in a word for me. But... Some did, um, and it worked out in some in some areas, and others it didn't. Um, and then you go out, and in the Caribbean we like to lime, and we like to go <laughs> yeah. and you know drink a rum, and you you know people. And back then, once again, you walk with the business cards. You know every any situation can become an opportunity. It just depends on how you look at it. And sometimes you have to create your own opportunities. So yeah. you you find that confidence deep down, and. The, the older I got, the more experience I gained. I was way more comfortable doing it, you know, speaking very confidently about who I was and what I did. And 
a lot of opportunities came, but I never once, and still 12 years in, have not taken out an advertisement in the paper wow. or online. It has strictly been by word of mouth. And I think to this day, that's one of the best forms of advertising that your clients can speak of you so highly to want to actually refer you because again it's still a reflection of them i tell people all the time be very careful how you hand out referrals and recommendations yep. because it is a direct reflection of you in a lot of instances so yeah you know you say don't recall the exact story of how you got your clients but even in that there are a few things you said i think are extremely important one of them is is being open so a lot of people may be working on a project but they don't tell their friends about it because maybe they don't want to be embarrassed or it may fail. And the power of letting you know your circle know what you're working on is extremely important because, as I said, they become your mouthpiece. They're, they become the ones who say, hey, I have a friend who does this. Um, the second thing you said that I think is really important is being vulnerable. When you went to that restaurant and you asked to speak to the manager and they didn't do anything, that's fine. And every time you do that, every time you do a cold call or a cold conversation, it builds your confidence. Yeah. It, it, it lets you get more confident in being able to ask, suggest, and hear a no. And you realize that I'm fine. Nothing okay. has changed. And what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst? No. Yes or no, it's as simple as that. Okay, so the other thing I want to say, <clears throat> I think it's extremely important that people understand the value of free work all right so you're fresh out of school you're working for a company and you want to build your portfolio nothing prohibits you from going to the store down the road the farms on the road and offering your services you're young you're new you're unknown do it for free build your portfolio because when people start to ask okay what can you offer and you can refer to 50 things you have done it gives you credibility or even if you're doing it just to get the practice, it now makes you even more professional when you're going for something else because you've done it 50 times over. And I think way too many people are afraid to be vulnerable to this or for their services to people. To, and they don't realize the true value of that. Wow, that's a very interesting topic and I'm really excited that you, you, <laughs> you brought it up. Um, one of my very last classes, I went to the Art Institute of Atlanta. And sadly, I cannot recall the professor's name mm. at this point, but he said quite the opposite and not quite. Okay. He said, you know, you're going to go out there, you're going to get jobs, you're going to get referrals, and people are going to come at you with, you know, pro bono, and you can do it for exposure. And he said, listen to me very carefully. I said, okay. He told the class, he said, never work for free. And he said, but I'm not leaving it right there. He said, even if it means you barter a cup of coffee, mm. he says, never work for free. Because when you work for free, there's a sense of devaluing what you're, you're worth, right? Um, I've never forgotten it. I do a lot of pro bono work, Sean. And when I wasn't in the position that I am now, I still did a lot of pro bono. But that was more naivety. That was more, <laughs> I never went to business school. Remember, I wasn't, I never had a dream of being an entrepreneur. Right. So there, there, some of the 
the the barriers so to speak or the the boundaries not the barriers the boundaries that you should put up i didn't know how i was like i'm a creative and i feel bad sure i'll help you you know could i give you the they give you the right marketing story to get you on board sometimes and what i'll say is i'm big on pro bono but i'm i think a lot of it has to do with timing Mm -hmm. now by that I see a lot of exploitation of, I can only speak to the creative field really, that's my area, of young young designers, young photographers, and you have large organizations and companies that say, I'll give you exposure, you know, I'm sorry, you can afford to at least offer them a stipend. Because the reality is, they don't have enough experience to give you at this point, in some instances, the best product. So the exposure that you think you're giving them is actually negative mm. because if people who have an eye look at it and can see the flaws and what doesn't work in that design, for example, they may never get a call back. They may never have an opportunity that could have been created with mentorship, etc. So I think in a lot of instances when, like at this stage in my career, I'm not sold on, I can give you exposure, no thanks. <laughs> I'm okay. Um, but I do think that once you do have experience under your belt, it's part of giving back to your community. Um, it is important. It, it, and, and again, that the pro bono can come back in terms of not only just work, but again, mentorship. You're right. right. Training up a young, a young designer. Have them, afford them the time that if they want to share a piece and get your honest feedback, make the time for them. Um, and that goes across any industry. But never work for free. Yeah, I like so, that. So even, but, but with, the, with the caveat that it, it's almost like bartering services as well. I've had instances where I've had a car wash company say, hey, can you do our loyalty cards? Sure. Um, Boy, I don't have a lot of money, you know. So it's a typical saying in this country, my sweet island home, Jamaica. Um, and I said, okay, well, you're going to have to give me three car washes. Yeah. And they were like, oh, no problem. Totally fine. And so again, we need to also get out of the habit of looking at compensation strictly for monetary value, right? Um, because again, I, so I don't want to be misconstrued. Pro bono is definitely a big thing. I mm-hmm. think it's very important to give back. But I also feel that timing with pro bono is critical, um, but never work for free. I like it. I definitely yeah. like it. <laughs> so no business school and you're not running a business. Mm-hmm. What are some of the mistakes that you've made that you're like, I wish I do better? Not collecting a deposit up front. Um, undercoating, underpricing myself. Um, not setting clear boundaries. Um, I think in the beginning also being afraid to maybe stand, not stand up for myself because when it came to design, that's one thing I was always very confident in, um, but it was more the business aspect of things. So people would try and swindle you or pull a fast one around you. And I, I never really knew how to navigate those situations. But when it came to design, you couldn't swindle me. Mm-hmm. Like I knew what was right. Um, and over time, I also learned over a long period of time that I too can fire clients. <laughs> it's a two-way street. Wow. And it's not in a, you're fired. Um, 
sense if everybody finds their own way to do it but it, it's a relationship every every client I have I try and explain that to them in terms of even like I, we were speaking, speaking about before with feedback and critique you have a right to your opinion you have a right and I and I want you to tell me what's not working or what is working for you but also you alone don't hold the power to walk away from this transaction I do as well as I tell people you know there is no amount of money that can pay me for someone to disrespect me right you have to know when to cut ties you have to know when to call something's bad debt you have to know when to walk away and not collect the payment but again you have to figure out very clearly in this life both in your personal and your professional you know that moral compass for you should never leave you it should always be at the fore just this morning i had a a conversation with a client and she said what she said to me and i said to her much like a doctor i said sometimes i feel like i'm always on call right but i said in the same vein i also took ethics around design and i don't believe that i must charge you and not actually do work so to speak so you have to have your moral compass you have to know what's right and what's wrong and you define your own version of right and wrong we all do um but it's very important in business as well it's it's very easy to go off the beaten beaten path especially if you don't have a background in business and you are easily led or easily you know steered in one direction i think that's someone's advice and to me as you say you know professional and personal life but i will also add entrepreneur or employee life too many people and i'm guilty of it as well you're going through an interview process especially as younger and you feel as if i'm so lucky to be called for an interview and the reality is is that you are also as the as a potential as a candidate mm -hmm. you're also interviewing the employer absolutely is this somewhere i want to work do i let the fact that they call me to come to the office at nine o'clock and at ten o'clock i'm still waiting that's not professional mm -hmm. and you should feel confident to say hey you know my time is valuable i've been here for an hour what's going on and way too often when we perceive that we're in a position of lesser we don't feel comfortable speaking up yeah and i think it's because we don't realize the value of our time and the value we bring to the table sean you're absolutely right um it's something i see a lot in our own culture especially in the restaurant industry i always say that it's something i've observed since moving back home many many years ago that your waiter or waitress are often almost intimidated or afraid to to speak to you whereas when you travel they're the first ones that i want to you know have a conversation oh my gosh where are you from da, 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 da. and it becomes a whole interaction and a pleasant one an experience an experience and a lot of times it, it it's training and i and i you know I, I cast i cast blame on management for not not helping their employees or empowering their employees to be confident in what they're here to do um and i think part of it is that we take a lot for granted 
So for example, I was always that why child. You couldn't shut me up. You know, Sarah going to this, why mommy? You know, but I was also encouraged as a child to use my voice. And so asking questions or speaking up for something that's not just comes very naturally to me. Um, probably too much so I can get me in trouble. <laughs> um, but I think that in, in, in the case of management sometimes, I think people are of the impression that everybody has a similar background and that everybody was raised in the same way with certain basic foundations and we weren't. So we take for granted that when you, somebody walks into a store, you say, hi, good afternoon, how may I help? When the truth is that that's not the, the, the candidate's experience. So you will have to spend a little extra time training up because they don't, they don't feel worthy in a lot of instances. Yeah. And I've worked at a number of places before having my own startup and I've seen it and it, sometimes I step in and I speak up for them as well when I see that, you know, a manager might be calling somebody down. Um, because I hate to see it. I don't like to see when people are taken advantage of in any capacity. Um, but you're right, we don't, we don't have that sense of worthiness or, or value add. You know, yes, you are fortunate to be called for an interview amongst a hundred candidates, but you also have a, have a purpose and you yeah. also should be in that interview to bring value to the company in whatever capacity that is. So. It's interesting the example you gave about the store and the manager calling down the employee. Way too many times, leaders genuinely don't know how to lead. And as a leader, if an employee is doing something wrong, your immediate reaction is to show it, be rude, you know, reprimand them. And sometimes you need to look at yourself and say, did I train them? Did I help them? Did I lead them? Did I do my job? Mm -hmm. I don't think that leadership and how to be a leader is, first of all, there's no school for it. You don't learn it in school. Correct. Right. You know, some people do take the time to go to leadership, you know, seminars later on in life, but gen genuinely or generally, high school, university is not taught. Yeah. And so we don't realize that when a staff member or somebody who reports to us is not operating properly. It actually lies with us. In the box stops with a leader. And I was saying to somebody the other day that, you know, being a leader, there are two roads. You can be like the captain of the Titanic and go down with the ship, or the captain of the Costa Concordia and run from the ship. <laughs> and you have to decide as a leader which one you are. And too many leaders that I have experienced they run for the problem. They point at the staff, the staff is something wrong, the project failed because of them. Not realizing that as a leader, your role is to help, encourage, support, guide. When something goes wrong, put your hand up first. It is your fault. You did not do something as a leader. And that is something that we don't do very well. And it comes right back around to what I said earlier, that we are here on this earth to be of servitude to others. We are here to help other people. And so whether you are in that capacity of leader or manager or boss or CEO, yes, you are steering the ship. But if something is going awry, the book should stop with you. Yeah. It really should. 
Um, and that's a heck of a responsibility to lay on someone's shoulders. But that's also why it comes with sometimes a big paycheck. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, because you have a lot of other people that work under you. Um, and it's another thing that I realized that Jamaica is probably one of the the few countries I know personally that entrepreneurship is everybody wants to be their own boss. And I remember speaking to a young designer once and I said, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? And they're like, oh, I just want to be my own boss. I said, really? Is that really what you think? I said, okay. I said, how many bosses do you think I have? And they said, what do you mean, Sarah? You, are, you own your own business. And I said, how many bosses do you think I have? And they're like, well, none. And I said, it's quite opposite. I said, on any given day, as at my current portfolio, I have 20 different bosses with different personality types, different demands, different requests, different tones. And I said, and I have to figure out how to manage all of them. I said, being an entrepreneur is a lot harder work than it is going into a nine to five job. But I also hear a lot of people speak down or speak lowly of, oh, you know, they were nine to five. Oh. And I say to them, I, I can never wrap my head around that concept because even if you say you want to be your own boss, I said, one day you're going to want somebody to come in and work nine to five for you. So um, there's a huge disconnect there for me. Um, and there's another disconnect when we leave a company as a nine to five and we say, we're an entrepreneur now. <laughs> and as your business grows and all the things that you complained about in terms of company culture that didn't go well in that company, I challenge any entrepreneur today that as they grow, what is the company culture, the one that you ran from, which one are you fostering and what are you trying to set as your standard? Because the truth is, a lot of times, when we're on the, the ground floor, so for example, even at Vistaprint, there were decisions that, were, that had to be taken at a management level, and I sat in those meetings, and we looked at all, all the data, all the facts, and then everything else surrounding them. And decisions had to be made. I'm not saying some of them were the right ones. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But you can't... Everything can't be fed down verbatim, right? Other than this is the decision that was made or this is one that was taken. And in a lot of instances, you know, that other staff member can't understand and then cost and cost management and it's, you know, Babylon system. <laughs> it, everything, is, everything is wrong. And it's like I said, in some cases they leave and they want to start their own business. And then they realize I didn't see it because I wasn't in that position, but being a manager, being the owner of a, a small business, which can be a large business one day, is a very, very difficult, time-consuming, um, hands-on. If, if you really want to be a good leader, it has to be an all-hands-on-deck job, right? Um, I remember once we did a function and my company did the invitations, but we also helped to manage the setup of the event. And at the end of the event, we were there, I remember it was like three o'clock in the morning, sleeves rolled up, 
we were helping the interior, not the interior designer, the decorator, pack up, pack up stuff. And she's like, why are you still here? I said, but we're working as a team. So it didn't matter. My job was finished long ago. Yeah. You know, um, but many hands make light work. Yeah. Make work light. Many <laughs> hands make work light. Yeah. And so you do what you have to do trying to serve others, trying to help other people. It's part of the job. But I think as people rise to the top, they get caught up in the, the luster of it all and the appearance of it, and they forget. So don't lose your moral compass. Yeah, I think so. Two things I want to say to that. The first one is I'm a strong believer. And this is a new idea I have. It's pretty new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a strong believer right let's just say that you've just hired somebody right my field is it as a you know junior programmer coming in push that junior programmer to run a few meetings and to go and speak directly to our client and you will see how that person will grow extremely quickly because too often we keep the junior people behind the scenes and therefore they don't know what the reality is or, you know, you're having a meeting for your neighborhood, for example, and they say, okay, they want to paint a fence. And you go, you get the court to paint the fence, you, you call a meeting, you tell them about it, and everybody has an opinion. And they say, okay, so who wants to do it? Everybody's hands are down. And I think that it, it's way too often we look at somebody else saying that they're doing a poor job and they can do better. And my answer is, well, you come and try it then. You know, I was at a job a few years ago and the rally cried, you know, poor job, you guys are doing a poor job, etc. So I said, okay. And I sent an email saying, anybody who wants to be COO for a month, reply to this email. And this, this was not HR approved, <laughs> right? <laughs> it is what it is, right? And... Some people replied and I did a raffle and I chose somebody. And clearly I can't, you know, show them everything. Right. But there are certain emails and certain meetings I let them come to. And after the month they were like, that's a lot. And I was like, it is a lot. You don't always know what somebody is going through. You don't know how hard it is. And more often than not, you don't have all the information. And so, as you said, people can make all these assumptions. But when they're put in a position... Are they actually doing something different? Are they actually implementing a culture that they want versus repeating the exact same mistake over and over again? And it's hard. It's funny. When I was when I was a teenager coming into, you have to go into summer jobs and you have to work. And I'm like, oh, sometimes I'm like, oh, I just want to be a telephone operator. Just, Hello, who you want to talk to? Click, 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 you know, send them over to the next person. <laughs> And when I came back to Jamaica, one of my first jobs uh, was actually housed in the Facey Commodity Building. Mm-hmm. And my first day, I walked into that very large lobby and I saw the telephone operator with the old time switchboard in front of her. And I saw that board light up and instantly it took me back to my statement many years before. And I thought, oh my God, people will be left on hold. People will be disconnected. People will be transferred to the wrong person. Like, we, we cannot or should not 
ever try and trivialize someone else's position unless we're prepared yeah. to sit in there and walk in their shoes literally um and that one fixed me quickly <laughs> mm-hmm. you know but again it goes back to what i said earlier about criticism versus critique yeah it's one thing to hear about a situation and be the first to say oh them sh- i should have done this and i should have done that but are you asking questions why was that decision taken you know what were the the surrounding factors you know, perhaps you could do so versus just critiquing. Yeah. You know, um, it's, but it's easy. It's easy to, to lay blame elsewhere. It's easy to deflect. Um, and it's easy to point out others' faults. But yeah. there are always four fingers. <laughs> right. Fingers looking back one thumb. <laughs> and I think it's the same with um, relationships as well. You know, you're with somebody and maybe things aren't going so well or they do something that upsets you. And it's very easy to get upset at them or say, why are you doing something wrong? But you don't know what their history is. You don't know why they think that way. You don't know what they have probably gone through to make them make a decision. And, you know, a little empathy, a little understanding, a little listening can go a, can go a long way. A little grace. A little grace. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, I'm just saying, you know, one of the... One of the things I always say also in terms of my approach to business in my, my professional space are some of the same hallmarks that I try and take into my, my personal life as well. So for example, transparency, right? Speaking the truth, accountability. If you're wrong, fall on your sword, mm-hmm. right? Communication, it's key. There is nothing wrong with a lot of young people today have this new style of ghosting. I I don't understand it. <laughs> I can appreciate you saying, Sarah, I'm overwhelmed. I can't get to this right now. I need a week, I need a month, I need 10 years. But to simply disappear, no communication, no explanation, nothing. I, I literally don't understand that concept, right? Um, and you hear people talk about the dating world as well and people ghosting them. I'm like, oh my God. God, I'd have to deal with that. It was rough. <laughs> it sounds very rough, you know, but then you're left with no closure and it's just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> um, but communication, transparency, accountability, um, you know, it, it doesn't just sit for your personal life or your professional life. I think a lot of a lot of these life experiences are intertwined. And if we, we you go to work, for example, whether you own the business or not, you go to work and you are expected to perform you're expected to respond to the 20 40 20, emails that are coming in at you every day you're expected to answer the phone if it rings it's the same way that when you go home you may not have twenty thousand boys or girls calling mm-hmm. you but you have one and yeah you might be annoyed you may have had a hard day and you don't want to talk to the person but pick up the phone and say look i've had a rough day can i can we do this another time so yeah. i think the same courtesies that are afforded in your professional life should doesn't always happen <laughs> but it would be nice if they also could be extended in other areas of your life as well yeah so, so even in the work example you know, what i found is that people don't realize the value of communication as you said so let's just say that you're working on five projects right and you know that your boss has assigned these five projects to you. Rather than waiting for 
the weekly update or the monthly update it's you don't know the value of just messaging your boss at whatever time in the day night and just saying okay project a um boy kind of rough right though i'm waiting on this project b is going pretty well but you know just that one or two lines per project because your boss has a boss as well mm -hmm. and therefore whether, that, whether that, that is a ceo as a boss or that's a client as a boss when your boss can tell the client hey everything is going well or everything is going bad or whatever the case is it gives a lot of confidence that things are going on but when there's radio silence people tend to wonder something must be going bad something is not going right just that little one-liner, two-liner, not no big report with a bag of figures, just a simple one-liner can literally A, make your boss look good, B, take pressure off of your back because if you message your boss in the night saying, I'm working on it, then he won't call you tomorrow because he knows that you're working on it and that we don't realize the value of that simple communication. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I learned, I learned a lot in my call center experience that even though I didn't necessarily have phone agents dealing with directly um, there were lessons even even with their training so we were everybody had to have the same kind of training or at least know what's happening in the center and one of the things was if you have to deliver bad news if a product wasn't ready it's also your delivery it's communication it's how you deliver the message right so it's not going to be ready tomorrow for whatever reason, but here's what I can do for you. So again, if you talk, try and find a solution, you know, they talk about there are many ways to skin a cat, right? If you can offer a solution after the, after the delivery of bad news, right? It's not necessarily what the person wants to hear because they're still not getting it in the time frame that they want it. And depending on the nature of what it is and how it, how, how important something is it may not appease them it may not make their mm -hmm. <laughs> their flaring temper come <laughs> down but sometimes you'll be surprised how much of a difference that simple communication that one line i am you know expressing that regret i am really so sorry to say however x y and z um and the other thing though about communication is a very tricky thing i know a lot of people who work in the business of communication and they're the poorest communicator <laughs> and I think I heard it once from my my late uncle that said just because you've said something does not mean that you've communicated because if the person has not received the information in the way in which you have intended them to receive it then you have not been an effective it's communicator failed. and I think a lot of times some of us um, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it too in some instances think that we're great communicators, you know, especially people like me that love to talk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but are we really, you know, because again, like you said, we come from different backgrounds, we have different experiences. And when people come together to face either a crisis situation or, or a happy moment, some people don't know how to respond in, in, to both ends of the spectrum. Um, and then you sometimes you're left feeling, well, you know, what's wrong with them? You know, like this is great news or yeah. this is bad news, you know. So are we effective communicators? You know, are we doing our active listening? Um, you know. I think that <laughs> I think that communication communication is very tricky, you know. It 
you have to remember that when you're communicating, it's not for you. So before I speak to you, technically, I should remember, okay, Sarah likes this, Sarah doesn't like that. Okay, let me say it this way. That's the ideal way to communicate where you have to remember that, okay, she speaks Spanish, I speak French. So let me translate it first before I say it. Because if you say it how you understand it, it's going to fail in communication. And the other day I was speaking to a pastor and he said to me that something I'd never thought about before. He was like, you know, when you're teaching somebody in school, for example, more than likely they have all come to this class to learn this topic. And you're going to assume that they don't know anything about this topic. But as a pastor, everybody comes there at different stages in their journey. So maybe going through something bad and they're upset at God. So people may, and therefore, whatever he communicates has to take all of that into account. I was like, that's rough. Mm -hmm. And it's the same that when you're a leader, you know, you're leading a staff of 20, 30, 50. And all of them are going through different things. Maybe somebody had a bad day at home. They got in a car accident. Their child is sick. And therefore, when you're communicating that something is due tomorrow, they have something much bigger going on in their lives and they don't care about what's due tomorrow because their child is sick and it's so it's so important that we as you said about you know when you're running your company to take the time to understand what's happening with each and every person we're interacting with because it impacts how we communicate with them yeah. and therefore hopefully what we want them to do actually gets done you know somebody told me once always remember just after I made a mistake Sean, I know you're my boss, but don't forget that we're human first. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that. Yeah. That's an important statement. And I think a lot of times in a, in a lot of plays today in the professional space, we do forget that. Um, and it's, it's something I spoke about um, on another interview once that we can never, we should never forget the human element. You know, I mean, especially in a world filled with technology now, I keep telling people, I'm like, oh, too much technology. <laughs> Can we just get back to the real world? Agreed, agreed. Um, you know, we miss a lot of a lot of our young people are socially in it now because you can see them. You see them at a restaurant out on a date and they're both on their phones. Um, we've we've lost that human touch once upon a time without dating myself too much you know we used to have pen pals and, true very you true know, and have, yeah. you know write letters and put stamps and go to the post office um and the truth is like you know i'll never forget my late grandmother saying to me you make the most beautiful birthday cards why don't you start a little card company i've been making cards with my other grandmother in her parlor she was an entrepreneur mm. when i was six or seven years old that's when i started making nice. christmas tags um and fast forward many years later when my other grandmother made a statement i said to her but i would be bankrupt in in two seconds i said nobody buys cards in the capacity that they used to that they used to i said and the world is changing and it's it's really i i make an effort every time i go to a meeting i see everybody with their you know, tablets, their, their tablets and their, their pen. That, nope. I have my beautiful notebooks and I still, sometimes I doodle when the meetings are going too long. Don't tell my clients that. <laughs> uh, um, but I fear that I will lose my penmanship. Um, 
and it's easy to it's easy to do that because everything is texting and you know key, keystrokes now it's no longer the flick of the wrist so i have a i have a controversial question sure are is a new generation becoming inept at communication or are they evolving are we the ones that are stuck in because we we struggle as you said pen pals to icq to <laughs> right <laughs> to bbm to where we are now whatsapp right. and telegram we have struggled that over a very short period of time too right mm -hmm. this is their reality and this is their future mm -hmm. so is there future emojis is there future vr is the ability and something i i think about should i mean she's doing it but should my daughter learn to write yeah i mean i think she does you know she should she, she no, is no. I, i'm but following you should she is the world that she's going to live in not even have writing when she's 20. is that going to literally float away no in okay. my opinion history repeats itself we've okay. seen multiple examples of that we see it in fashion we see it in yes technology certainly advances However, here's the beauty about the position that we sit in. We are able to do both. So you speak about evolution, but are they truly evolved when they're only able to function in one, mm. one silo? They can only do keystrokes. They have no idea about penmanship. Whereas we can, we can flip between both. Yeah. It's kind of like learning a, a foreign language, you know, when you go in high school and you have to choose a subject. And I'm like... I live in Jamaica. Why don't you speak Spanish? Why don't yeah. you speak French? Uh, we live in a global... We, we live and know as adults, we see, we operate on a global, in a global marketplace. So it is important that if you intend to travel or you intend to take on a big client, you are able to do to, to speak another language. It makes you a little more marketable. Um, I wish I paid more attention in my French classes. But <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that, you know, I... Years ago, I worked at a company that I saw persons who were less functionally skilled, but knew Spanish. They got the opportunity to go and open the branch in a Spanish-speaking country mm -hmm. because to go speak a language. And the person who was more functionally skilled, higher level, couldn't go because they couldn't speak a language. And there, as you said, speaking multiple languages has so many it opens so many doors for you that you won't know until the door is there. One of the questions that um, when people ask me to speak to like young designers, I say to them, what's, what's your worst subject? Like what's the one that you absolutely do not enjoy doing? So not necessarily like you're bad at it, right. but what's your least favorite subject? And I kid you not, all my creatives, 9.999 times out of 10, guess what they tell me? Oh. Guess. Languages? No. Math? Math. Math. It was my least favorite, right? And here's what I tell them. I have come to see that if you are a centimeter off in a design, you can render the project a failure. Mm -hmm. If you are a teaspoon off in putting baking powder into a recipe as a chef, you can fail that recipe. Um, if you don't have the right proportions of water to cement, where the building going to go? 
So it might not be our favorite subject, but it's a very important one. Yeah. And I think there is no, no subject we take that doesn't have a purpose, so to speak. We may not see it immediately. Yeah. Um, I remember having this discussion with a friend of mine years ago and she said, we have to do religious education in school. I don't see what the purpose of that was. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, well, for me personally, it gave me an introduction or an introductory overview of what some of the other main religions were globally. And so it gives me a better appreciation to be more tolerant of other people. Yeah. I don't necessarily have to agree with your belief system, but I should be able to respect you enough to know that yours is different from mine. Um, so I said, it has everything has a purpose in this life, if you really stop and think about it. Um, and as human beings, I think each of us, we have a purpose. It's for us, I think, part of our journey and that dash. You know, I've gone to so many funerals where they talk about that, the dash. It's what you do with your dash, you know, the moment you're born, the moment you die, and, and the dash between. And in that dash, if we can truly figure out what our purpose here on earth is in the time that we've been given, that I think is the greatest achievement. A lot of people never fully understand why they are here. And there's so many lost people walking around as a result because they haven't found that purpose to, to then say, okay, let me go and live intentionally and, and do X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a job. It could literally be, I'm going to dedicate my life to feeding the homeless you know um but once you find your true purpose i think there's a, a satisfaction that comes with that that is incomparable to anything else anyone else can offer you because it comes with you i think that so many people and including myself there is there is a focus placed on surviving making money right yeah. and so if your passion is literally gardening, there may not be money in that, right? Probably an example, but that's a reality. There are certain jobs or certain roles or certain passions that there is no clear path that if you do this, you will make money. Or I'm in my job right now, and even though I know I can make money in this, I have to start all over. Mm -hmm. a little fear and so a lot of us leave our dashes unfulfilled because of fear yeah because of fear yeah i mean you know it just depends on everybody's background um it's interesting i was having this conversation with my mom who is um huge her faith is like rock solid mm -hmm. and mine is like a mustard seed at the time. <laughs> it's very shaky mm -hmm. um but the older i've gotten there's this you know the foundation that my parents instilled, I think, has still not had me tip over the edge yet. Yeah. In terms of knowing that no matter all the bad debts that you had to write off, the business mistakes that you made, that at the end of the day, you know, even through COVID, I was able to work had considerably reduced. You know, our clients in the entertainment sector. Right. The entertainment was shut down for two years, so there was no work coming from that. But yet... I still kept my employee. I still I was able to pay my bills comfortably. I was able to I always seem to end up okay. And I think that in itself is a true blessing. So 
the times that I'm like shaking my faith, I'm like, Sarah, really? Yeah. What's really happening here? Um, and that again, you know, looks different across denominations, it, it across different faith groups and whatever, whatever your, your religion, if that's what you want to call it, right? Or whatever your, whatever you believe in, I think we all have to hold on to something greater than self to know that we have to have a there's, a, there's a bigger purpose for each of us out there. So no matter what the situation is, some of us are fortunate enough or blessed enough to land on our feet and others are not. Some of us learn harder lessons than the other. But at the end of the day, if your faith is, it comes back to what you believe in and what is gonna keep you, keep you grounded through those difficult moments. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, starting a business and not being a lawyer, not being a accountant, not being any of those things, mm-hmm. right? You did marketing, so I guess that's okay. Right? <laughs> you know, at what stage did you realize that okay, I need to get help in these areas to sustain my business? Versus, like, how many times do you trip and be like, I made a mistake? Um, I think for me it was almost instantaneous because like I said I have no formal business training um, I had a great foundation in design at the school I, I went to um, and it was much of a commuter college so one of the great things about the Art Institute for me was that it prepped me for real the real world for example again i'm going to date and age myself when we were sitting our final print production exam was the advent of adobe indesign (laughs) (laughs) so we were trained for the past three and a half almost four years on quark express all versions of it and then we were told your final exam is going to be in adobe indesign and I remember a group of us saying, uh, excuse me, <laughs> this just came on the market. Like, we haven't been trained. And our professor looked at us and said, welcome to the real world. Wow. When you're in a job, if the technology changes and your company either cares not to give you training or don't have the money to give you training, you still have a job to do. So guess what, honey? You're going to have to figure it out. Correct. I was like, whoa. Um... And there are so many instances of that. I used to, as an international student, I had to, we could only work 20 hours a week. And as much as I could, I used to work at a bookstore um, at that particular school. And I was there from 7.30 in the morning, depending, either between class or, sorry, or my shift. And I wouldn't leave until 10 o'clock at night, daily, Mm -hmm. Monday through Friday. And you'd have gaps, you'd have breaks in between. But it, it got me in that mindset of, you leave home, you go to work, you stay late, mm-hmm. you come back home, you do it all again the following day. So I never had the traditional North American college experience of football games and, you know, late nights. And my late nights were spent at in the studio working yeah. in a lot of instances. Um, another one, a clear example was, and it's something that I'm very, I'm huge on, and it's something that we're known at simply Jim Dandy for, which is we don't miss deadlines. I don't take on a project 
if I can't meet your deadline. I don't care how much money you're throwing at me. If we can't meet the deadline or we're going to shirk someone else's deadline, we just we, we simply can't take the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came based on an experience with um, my corporate identity class. At the end, we had to create a logo and we had to print our brand or standards manual in color and it was well over 50 pages. That was very expensive at the time, especially for a college student, right? And I thought, well, tell her I'm an international student and I don't have money. <laughs> I'm going to go to the library and pay almost 60% of the cost and do it in black and white. That class cost me the 0.2 percentage I needed to, to graduate summa cum laude. Mm. <laughs> because the teacher said to me, Honey, I don't care what the circumstance was. You were given the project requirements. And whether you had to beg, borrow, steal, the, the requirements were the requirements. And you had a timeline and you had everything was set out yeah. for you. Um, and it cost me. And it, it burnt me. It hurt me. Yeah. And I never, I never forgot it. Um, and that's why I tell, I tell anybody I, I speak to, you know, guys, honor your deadlines. I think it's one of the things that have made, kind of forged a path and uh, in my own right, allowed me or afforded me the success we have at Simply Jim Dandy because there are a million great designers out there. Even in Jamaica, there are a ton of them, right? And I keep saying, we have a thing in Jamaica where we look at competition as as a threat. I love competition. I think it makes me better than the last project I did. I think it keeps me on my toes um, and I welcome it. But there's also more than enough work for everybody. There's room for everyone. Everybody has a different aesthetic. Right. Um, I know I certainly, we've niched ourselves into a certain look and feel. Um, so if somebody comes and says, you know, can you do a party flyer for us? I'm sure we could figure it out, but that's not what we do. Um, but I can call 10 other designers and say, hey, mm-hmm. you have time, can take this on. There's enough work for everyone. Um, but being able to meet a deadline when I came back to Jamaica it was something that was missing in the market Um, still is and apparently still is designers would take on jobs and I mean now it's called ghosting but they just (laughs) just disappear on their clients or they would call them and they got a bigger offer so they take on that job and put yours on hold and you just have to wait and but we don't do that Um, and it when we say we'll deliver, we'll deliver. And I think, again, that word of mouth that I, I spoke about because the market was so bad and notorious for that, that when someone said, oh my God, I just met this designer and we actually got to work on time and it's good. And, and that has propelled us forward and expanded our client base tremendously. So again, to all the young <laughs> entrepreneurs out there, no matter what industry you are in, honor your word. You know, once upon a time was called, you know, a gentleman's hand, you shake on it, yeah. you know, or you, you, you giving someone your words still holds so much value for me today. I'm very much an old school and old soul type of gal. Um, and, and yeah, your word is, your word is your bond. I think that deep down, everybody respects people who honor their word. We, however don't know we don't know how to baby 
say no. We don't know how to measure our time. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to be upfront. So if something genuine does happen, people are uncomfortable. People prefer for you to call, call them and you say, boy, I missed a sorry versus calling proactively and saying, I'm going to miss this deadline. Here are the reasons why I apologize. I'll give a 10% off. We're not very good at being upfront as a people with anything, you know, whether it is construction, you call the plumber, he just disappear. And you're like, mm-hmm. you're supposed to come this morning. How can you just disappear? Yeah. And we need to remember that, as you said, your world is a bond. And it's good that you can only take on jobs that you will meet a deadline for. But for persons who find themselves about to miss a deadline, communicate. Tell Absolutely. the person. So, so, so I should go back. It's not to say that there's a statement that I, I like that I utter occasionally and it's life happens. Right? right. So we have every intention to meet that deadline. But also part of part of meeting it is recognizing when you're about to miss it and not just five minutes before you're about to miss it. Be proactive, as you said, in picking up the phone, sending an email, whatever whatever the line of communication is, and say, hey, my dog ate my homework. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, something tragic has happened, whatever. Yeah. Or simply, this is taking us a lot longer. We, you know, we, we, we misunderstood the scope of the project. Um, can you afford us an extra, an additional hour or two, or whatever, whatever, whatever the timeline yeah. is, etc. But you have to be proactive because yes, it's, it is true. Life happens. It's not to say that in the twelve years of business that we've not missed the original deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we rarely do, but when we do, it's for valid reason, and it has been communicated yeah. and approved by the client. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the reality is that a work ethic. Is a it's very important um, and that looks different for everybody and we have to also try and remember that we can't operate in a space expecting people to behave in the way we do right um, but for example I don't expect anybody to behave like me I've had been roasting with fever with my laptop because I have a deadline to meet right. but guess what that's my trauma from my college experience, right? <laughs> yeah. And knowing that there are no excuses. Um, that's how I was trained. There are no excuses. So you figure it out, right? You're an international student. You can't afford the 350 US dollar print. Yeah. Figure it out, right? Um, get creative and, and get it done. There are many ways to skin a cat, right? But in that same vein... Life does happen and everybody, we're not, we're not all on an equal plane. We don't all have the same opportunities, but we all have a mouth. We all have a voice and we all have the ability to communicate, especially in a world where you can reach me by WhatsApp and Telegram yeah. and whatever the rest of them are, you know, yeah. send me a smoke signal. Yeah. Don't just disappear. Um, so yeah, beat, beat the client to it. It's simply same thing. I do not like calling clients to ask for my money. Yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't like to owe people, but I also recognize that again, you can't operate from the space of expecting everybody to be like you. Sometimes they simply don't have the cash flow or running away from the payment, whatever <laughs> it is, right? But at the end of the day, I do think they too have a responsibility to pick up the phone and say, I don't believe in line, but find a reason to say, Look, you're 
your payment isn't ready. Um, we're so sorry. Would you mind if we, we, we have to schedule it for two weeks from now? Yeah. Hope it doesn't disturb anything for you too much. Um, but again, communication, right? Um, yeah. All right. So what advice would you give younger Sarah or, you know, somebody else, you know, who is young, upcoming, you know, what advice would you give them? Which one? Both. Okay. So, no, do both. <laughs> what advice would you give yourself? Reflecting on where you are now, you know. Take the chance. You, you can do it. There's so many opportunities I shied away from. Um, thinking, not having the confidence, not having the, the self, not feeling worthy of certain positions. Um, especially negotiating. Guys, when you, are, when you are young and have, let me tell you, negotiating is an art. I still to this day do not think I have practiced or I'm good enough at it. But do not undersell yourself. Um, that's one. Uh, never stop learning. And that's, we spoke about this before I even came on. Um, whether it's learning to fry a dumpling, whether it's learning to pull a cell phone apart and put it back together, no matter the, the technicality of whatever it is, you know, we live in a we live in a, a huge world and thanks to technology, we have it all at our fingertips. So you may not have the money to finish high school or go to university, but does that make you not able to be a complete 100% success in life? No, it doesn't. But you have to be, you have to be curious enough. Stay curious, stay hungry as um, I think it was Steve Jobs that said it you have to you have to want it you have to want more for yourself and you have to go in search of it um if the opportunity isn't there create it don't be afraid to talk to people you know um something i'm also guilty of is tone sometimes yeah we're having a bad day and we snap at people but be careful how you speak to them because your relationships are crucial in this world don't burn bridges no some bridges have to be burnt <laughs> absolutely um in cases of you know like serious disrespect and disingenuous situations um but at the end of the day i remember somebody saying to me once um i was going up mountain springs hill that you up and down and they're like oh my god sarah you're gonna say good morning to everybody that passes you and i said absolutely <laughs> why not and i said let me tell you something i know that if anything happens to me lord forbid in a five mile radius of where i work and where i live i said you know many security guards would come out mm. and assist i said it that's how we were raised it doesn't matter your color your creed your sex your station in life people are people at the heart of everything so never forget the human element right um oh no honor your word um be true to self if you know that in your heart that moral compass is saying don't do it call it your moral compass call it intuition call it the voice of god don't do it there's a reason that it's speaking so strongly to you um and just don't let anything hold you back it we live in a world sean where it's very easy to be 
dissuade or dissuaded or um, discouraged for a number of different reasons. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's something that the disease called bad men, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, if you really want something, go for it and don't be afraid to ask for help. So I think there are so many things I threw at you a while ago and all of them in their own right have a place and that's what I would share with someone coming up, you know. Um, step into your greatness. Be intentional about what it is that you want to do and if you really want to do it, ask for help. You know, no man is an island. You know, we all need help at some point, no matter what the help looks like, you know. I can't troubleshoot this. My email is down. Help. Yeah. <laughs> or I need $20 million. Can you help? So you go to the bank or you go to an investor. Um, but whatever it is, big or small, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, and whatever it takes to, to instill that confidence in self, lean into that a little, a little more. I wish I had done that a lot younger. Maybe I'd be a little further ahead. Um, but it's important to believe in yourself. I think one of the most cliche sayings is when they say youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> and I think that it's cliche, but it's so valuable. Yeah. It's not until you're older you realize that all that fear, all that lack of confidence, all that pride, not letting you ask for help, etc., was all so stupid. Yeah. And it's not until you're older you realize the value in all of those things you just said a while ago. And the other, the other thing, Sean, that I, I don't know how I didn't lead with it, is be very intentional about who you choose as your tribe. Right? Um, if you only have friends or colleagues that agree with everything you say, you're in the wrong crowd. You need people that are going to push you, that are going to disagree with you and show you and offer you a different perspective that are going to challenge you to things that you say or do, whatever. Um, and then you're going to need those people to remind you of who you are when you forget. Because there are days that are hard and low and you're going to need those people to come in and just kind of scoop you up and say, come on, you're a lady boss, let's get this done. You yeah. know, um, So to remind you who you are and to remind you of your why, why you started this. Because sometimes I just want to throw our hands up and say, I can't bottle. Yeah. You know, it's easy. To, the world is hard. It's a tough place. The pandemic made it a little harder for those two years. And we are, we're coming out of it. And I think, you know, some of us are not even realizing that readjusting to life has its own challenges. Yeah. Um, so we're a little more short-tempered because everything seems so much more overwhelming because it's been so quiet for so long. Yeah. And, you know, um, so it is easy to just feel dismayed. But you need those, you need that tribe to kind of be your cheerleaders and pick you up in those moments. Yeah. And to mention your name in rooms where you're not even present. <laughs> I like that. You know, it's, it's important. It has value. So, yeah. And what's, what's next for you? What's your next plan, your next project, next 10, 5, 2, 15 years? What's next? Um, the truth is I've never been great at goal setting so far ahead. Um, I try to use each day to its fullest and what I can, like they say, you know, make hay while the sun shines mm -hmm. and don't put off for tomorrow what you could do today. 
Um, but I, I'm still trying to find a way to, to make an impact um, in Jamaica. I think that giving back to country is so very important. And I think a lot of us feel like we don't know how to. I know I have for a number of years. Um, that's why I'm an avid juror. You know, I go and I do my jury duty and my jury service <laughs> and I tell everybody, go and do your jury service and I try and explain why it's so important. But outside of that, you know, I've always wanted to find a project or a way to use design to affect social change. Um, I haven't quite figured it out yet and I don't think it will be a self-project. I think it would have to definitely be a collab and would love it to be a collab. Um, so I haven't figured that out yet. I don't know what that time span looks like. Yeah. Um and I'd like to move into consultancy, um, consultancy slash mentorship of sorts as well. Um, someone once said to me, you know, you talk to a lot of people, a lot of young people, you know, aren't you afraid that you're going to like give out all your, the tricks of the trade? And I said, but what good are they to me? I said, I have an expiration date, much like an athlete. There's always a younger generation coming up behind us. And if I can't teach them, the things I've learned to cut down on timing and, and create more efficiency in the design space, then what, what am I supposed to do? Die with it? It doesn't help anybody else. It doesn't continue to make the profession, the wonderful profession it is, any, any better. Um, so definitely, remember when I started at six years old saying I never wanted to teach? Yeah. And somewhere in the back of my head, I'm like, well, maybe... Maybe that's some, maybe that's a way to to give back, you yeah. know, not not too sure yet. Um but in the next five to ten years, Sean, I'd like to be happy. I think that's the the most genuine answer I can give you. Um and I'm not gonna put any parameters around that. But to be able to to live in the world that we are in now where it's so fast paced and sometimes I have to make appointments to see the people that we care about, you know, because yeah. it's always, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And there's work. Like you said, at one point, you know, you feel like you're always having to make a book and trying to earn to do X, Y, or Z. And I think if we can truly, truly, truly be happy within ourselves, I think no matter what we set out to do, um, we would have won. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you want to dive into a similar What Next episode, check out the links in the podcast description or head to the whatnextpodcast.com. And remember, make it your mission to make somebody else's day better.